Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 49. Today we'll be reading Book 12, chapters 1 through 10 in the Ascension edition of the book. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us to reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So as we made mention in the bonus introductory episode for book 12, here in this book, we're going to be working on the first chapter of Genesis still, specifically verse 2. But St. Augustine's still in conversation with some insights that he got from verse 1. So he's kind of, you know, going back and forth between the two verses and trying to draw out the conclusions or draw out the, the consequences of that type of reasoning. And this whole book, book 12, is a kind of playground, as it were, of both Neoplatonic and Christian notions of creation. And in part, what he aims to show is the liberty or the freedom that you have in the interpretation of Scripture. Not in that you can say, Scripture means whatever I want it to mean, but in the sense that you bring to sacred scripture the tools, you know, the philosophical tools or the historical tools, and you come up with meanings which are plausible, which aren't in contradiction from the, the real patent sense of the text. And then you kind of put them up against each other and make determinations as to which is better and maybe which is best, but that you have some freedom, some liberty in doing so. So it's a kind of exercise in speculative theology. And you'll find this sometimes. The church hasn't pronounced on a particular matter, and different theologians will weigh in, and it's for us to, to make determinations as to what seems best to square with the truth. So let's go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 1. My heart, O Lord, touched by the words of your sacred scripture, is beset with concern amid this poverty of my life. And thus, most of the time does the poverty of human understanding overflow in words. For inquiry has more to say than discovery, demanding is longer than obtaining, and our hand that knocks has more work to do than our hand that receives. We hold the promise, who shall make it void? If God be for us, who can be against us? Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks shall the door be opened. These are your own promises. Who need fear being deceived when the truth promises? Chapter 2 the lowliness of my tongue confesses unto your loftiness that you made heaven and earth. This heaven that I see and this earth that I tread upon, from which comes this earthen body that I bear about me, you made it. But where, O oh Lord, is that heaven of heavens spoken of in the words of the psalm? The heaven of heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. 
Where is that heaven that we do not see, that heaven whose earth is all this that we do see? For this bodily whole is not present as a whole in each and every one of its places, and it has thus received its portion of beauty in these lower parts, the lowest of which is this our earth. But in relation to that heaven of heavens, even the heavens of our own earth are but earth. Yes, both these great bodies may without absurdity be called earth in comparison to that unknown heaven, which is for the Lord, not the sons of men. Chapter 3 Now this earth was invisible and without form, and there were unknown depths in the abyss upon which no light shone, because it had no shape. Therefore you commanded it to be written that darkness was on the face of the depths. But what was this darkness other than the absence of light? For had there been light, where would it have been except above everything, aloft and illuminating? Thus, where there was no light, what was the presence of darkness if not the absence of light? Darkness, therefore, was upon it because light was not upon it, as there is silence when there is no sound. And what is it to have silence there if not to have no sound there? O Lord, have you not taught the soul of him who confesses unto you? Have you not taught me, Lord, that before you formed and diversified this formless matter there was nothing, neither color nor figure nor body nor spirit? And yet it was not altogether nothing, for there was a kind of formlessness, lacking in all beauty and specific form. Chapter 4 What then should it be called by some ordinary word, so that it might be to some degree conveyed to those of slower mind? And among all the parts of the world, what can be found that is nearer to absolute formlessness than our earth and the depths? For since they occupy the lowest level of all things, they are less beautiful than the other higher parts, which are all transparent and luminous. Why, therefore, may I not think that the formlessness of matter that you created without beauty, from which to make this beautiful world, is suitably expressed to men by means of the expression, earth invisible and without form? Chapter 5 Thus, when our thought asks what this means, it says to itself, It is no intellectual form like life or justice, for it is the matter of bodies. Nor is it an object of sense, for since it was invisible and formless, it contained no object of sight or sense. And when man's thought speaks to itself in this way, does it not strive to know it by being ignorant of it, or to be ignorant by knowing it? Chapter 6 But Lord, if I would confess unto you by my tongue and my pen the whole of whatever you yourself have taught me about that matter, I did not understand its very name when I heard of it from those who spoke to me about it without understanding it themselves. Thus, I conceived of it as though it had countless various forms in it, thus failing to conceive it at all. My mind tossed up and down foul and horrible forms, all of which were lacking order, but forms nonetheless. And so I called it formless not insofar as it lacked all form, but because it had such forms that, if it presented itself for consideration, my mind would turn away from it as something unexpected and jarring, and human frailness would be troubled at it. Still, what I conceived was formless, not as being deprived of all form, but in comparison to more beautiful forms. But true reason did persuade me that I must completely strip it of all remnants of form whatsoever, if I wished to conceive of matter absolutely without form. And I could not, for I could sooner imagine that something deprived of all form would not be than conceive of something between form and nothing, neither formed nor nothing, a formless thing that was almost nothing. So my mind ceased questioning my spirit about this, for it was filled with the images of formed bodies, changing and varying them as it willed. And I turned my attention to the bodies themselves and looked more deeply into their changeability, by which they ceased to be what they have been and begin to be what they were not. And this same shifting from one form to another, I suspected to take place through some sort of formless state, not through mere nothingness. Yet this I long to know and not only to suspect. If then my voice and pen were to confess to you all of the knots that you have untied for me concerning this question, what reader would remain to take in the whole narrative? 
Nor, for all that, shall my heart cease to give you honor and chant a song of praise for those things that it cannot put into words. For the changeableness of changeable things is itself capable of receiving all those forms into which these mutable things are changed. And this mutability, what is it? Is it soul? Is it body? Is it that which constitutes soul or body? Might one say a nothing something or an is that is not? And I would say this if I could. And yet in some way such changeableness was capable even then of receiving these visible and compound appearances. Chapter 7 But where did it get this degree of being if not from you, from whom all things come insofar as they are? Though it is all the further from you to the degree it is also all the more unlike you. For the distance in question is not a distance of place. Therefore you, O Lord, who are not one way in one place and another way in another place, but are the self-same and the self-same and the self-same, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, in the beginning which is of you, in your wisdom which was begotten of your own substance, you did create something, and indeed out of nothing. For you created heaven and earth, but not out of yourself, for if so, they would have been equal to your only begotten Son, and thereby equal to you as well. Whereas it is in no way right that anything should be equal to you if it is not of you. And there was nothing else besides you from which you might create them, O God, one trinity and threefold unity. Therefore, out of nothing you created heaven and earth, the one great, the other small. For you are almighty and good to make all things good, even heaven in its greatness and earth in its smallness. You existed and nothing else was there besides you from which you would have created heaven and earth two different sorts of things, the one near you and the other next to nothing, one to which you alone would be superior and the other to which nothing would be inferior. Chapter 8 But that heaven of heavens was for yourself, O Lord, and the earth which you gave to the sons of men to be seen and felt was not like the earth we now see and feel, for it was invisible and formless, and there was a deep abyss upon which no light shone, or perhaps darkness was above the depths, meaning that there was more of it than was in them. For the watery deep that we now can see has a light proper to its nature and its depths, perceivable in some degree by the fish and creeping things in the bottom of it. But that entire depth was almost nothing, because up to that point it was altogether formless. And yet, there was already that which could be formed. For you, Lord, made the world from a formless matter, which was made from nothing into next to nothing, from which would be made those great things that we sons of men wonder at. How utterly marvelous is this bodily heaven, a firmament between water and water. Upon the second day, after the creation of light, you said, Let it be, and it was made. And you call the firmament heaven, that is, heaven to this earth and sea, which you made on the third day by giving a visible figure to formless matter, which you made before all days. Already before all days you had made a heaven, but it was the heaven of this heaven. For in the beginning you made heaven and earth, but the same earth that you made was formless matter, because it was invisible and without form. And darkness was above the depths, and from this earth, invisible and without form, from this formlessness that is almost nothing, you made all those things that at once make up this changeable world, and yet pass away within it, whose very changeability appears in the world, so that times can be observed and numbered in it. For time is fashioned from the alterations of things amid the varied alteration of their forms, whose matter is the invisible earth which we have already discussed. Chapter 9 Therefore, when the Spirit, the teacher of your servant, recounts that you created heaven and earth in the beginning, he says nothing about times, nothing about days. For truly that heaven of heavens that you created in the beginning is some kind of intellectual creation, which is in no way co-eternal with you, the Trinity, but nonetheless partakes in your eternity, and through the sweetness of that most happy contemplation of you, firmly restrains its own mutability. And without any fall since its first creation, it clings closely to you and is placed beyond all the rolling vicissitudes of time. 
Truly, the very formlessness of the earth, invisible and without form, is not numbered among the days of time. For wherever there is no figure nor order, nothing comes or goes. And where this does not happen, there clearly are no days nor any change of time. Chapter 10 O let the light, the truth, the light of my heart, not my own darkness, speak unto me. I fell off into that and was darkened. But even from there, yes, even from there, I loved you. I went astray, yet I recalled you. I heard your voice behind me calling out to me to return, and I barely heard it through all the tumult of the enemies of peace. And now, behold, I return, burning with thirst and filled with desire to the waters of your fountain. Let no man forbid me to draw from them. Of these waters I will drink, and so I will live. Let me not be my own life, for my life was evil when it was from me, and I was death unto myself. But I live anew in you. Speak unto me, converse with me. I have believed your books, yet their words are utterly full of mystery. Okay, so St. Augustine, in proceeding further up and further in to his meditations on the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, is going to try to do so in a disposition of humility, because he knows that, that pride has tripped him up in the past, and so he aims to be humble here in the present. And so he just knows that there's a certain poverty of human, human understanding, which is going to be present in the words that he uses to express himself. So from the outset, that's just acknowledged here at the beginning. But he also knows that God has encouraged us to inquire. So if God said, hey, listen, sacred scripture, it's too hard for you to understand. Uh, I just revealed it so that way you could bind it, put it on a shelf, and never consider it again. Had God said that, okay, well, maybe we would have justification for ongoing ignorance. But he didn't say that. He said, ask, seek, knock. So St. Augustine kind of introduces that verse at the outset with this understanding that theology or faith discourse, however we want to describe it, the inquiry that we undertake in our life of faith ought to be really done on one's knees, right? We ought to pray before, during, and after, not just in the sense like, I've got to say my study prayers, but in the sense that we come before the Lord in a spirit of sacred study with a desire that he might reveal himself to us and kind of mediate his grace to us more richly. So, Father Jacob Bertrand, based on our experience of trying to do this, you know, for the past however many years, is it possible to live this way? If not, maybe we should conclude the podcast. If so, maybe we can record some more episodes. Your thoughts? I would say so. It is if so. <laughs> uh, yeah, off, it was an example that I like here in thinking about sort of the depth and mystery of God and the speculative sort of inquiry is the example of being in love. You know, if you think about somebody you love, you can enunciate it a good deal of reasons as to why you love that person or qualities that you love in that person. But you kind of get to a point where you can't really say more or really put your thumb on like the heart or like the center or the pulse of like what it is that this love is and entails and how it exists. And that doesn't mean it's any less real. It just means it sort of escapes you know, the capacity of our words and our putting this reality into words. Now, it's an analogy or an example, so it doesn't map perfectly onto our trying to understand God and what he's given us in his revelation. But I think kind of gives a sense of like, okay, there's obviously God is real and there's obviously a lot about God. But, and as Father Gregory says, you know, we're made to know God, but there's also a point where like, we're just, we kind of come up with a lack in words, but especially in our understanding or the mystery kind of becomes too big. But that doesn't mean we ought not dive into it and be immersed in it. And yeah, and beg our Lord the grace to open our minds to it in ways that will 
draw us in. And as we've said throughout the entirety of the confessions, and especially because Augustine has such a love for wisdom and learning, the goal here is not to have all these bits and pieces memorized and to have an exhaustive kind of knowledge of God, but to know God as father, friend, healer, savior. So his grace moves us, you know, it gives us what we need in order to know him in, in those capacities for the sake of our salvation. So I, I think just keeping all of that in perspective is, it's helpful for me anyways, and it's been helpful for me in studying things of revelation and, and you know, theology throughout. So hopefully a little helpful for you. Yeah. And I think too, there's a kind of disposition of the Christian inquirer where, okay, how do I express this best? I might say it simply, talking helps. This is a line that Father Timothy Danaher, with whom uh, Father Jacob Bertrand lives, repeats often, uh, talking helps. So we're not saying that we should just babble like the pagans because the Lord, when introducing the Our Father said, no dice, not to be done. But but there is a kind of holy Christian babbling that when we're figuring out what God is doing in our lives or the sense to make of our lives, it helps to talk it out, uh, to talk it out with the Lord, to talk it out with our friends, to talk it out however we deem best in the in, like the particular instance. In, in my own experience, sometimes I'll find myself when preaching, I'm convicting myself of the things that I'm preaching because I, I've thought about them a bit, but they haven't really come together in my mind. And then when I craft a homily and then preach a homily, I think to myself, yeah, I think, I think that's right. Not in the sense that I just deal in half-truths all the time or half-falsities, as it were, but in the sense that when, when you talk it through, it coalesces and in coalescing, you're like, convicted of it. So I think that what we're doing here in books 11, 12, and 13 is is talking it out, and I think that, that talking helps. So we're specifically talking about Genesis 1-2. We heard with Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he's putting that in conversation now with Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. So St. Augustine, in these first few chapters, he's especially concerned, again, to clarify the doctrine of creation. He's thinking a lot about the heaven of heavens, uh, which we'll hear more about in our next episode. But he's kind of like comparing different options for what these words might mean. And he's going to get more involved in like the cosmology or the kind of astronomy almost of the ancients and even the medievals will be largely indebted to, to him and to those who went before him. But he's thinking here about like a primordial state, uh, an original state of creation, a kind of formlessness. It's without light. It's without other things besides. And he's going to have to work through the different limitations of his imagination and purify his concepts of, of different notions that he's bringing in just by virtue of the fact that he's a human who is thinking about these things. So I know, yeah, Father Jacob Bertrand, we talk a lot um, kind of in our theological circles of trying to, to purify our understandings, to purify our concepts so that we don't just bring in stuff that we imagine or stuff that we, you know, find nice and may as well be present. So how does that work in our thinking through these items of the faith? Yeah, to be honest, it's, it's kind of tough here um, because <laughs> you can think of it in terms even, you know, another concept of which we don't have any sort of direct encounter or experience in this life that we try to imagine often is, is heaven. You know, what is heaven like? But we have some idea from Revelation, but we don't have a direct experience or a direct analogy. So often when we think about it, we think, I think we think about it in terms of our experiences rather than, you know, a, a direct experience. And I think so too here, we don't have any sort of direct experience of, of these sort of primordial moments of, of creation. So it's tough to kind of, I, I don't know, Terrence Malick, the, the director ruined 
my idea of like the, these initial stages of creation in his movie Tree of Life. I I know this is like a hot take. We've talked about hot takes. A lot of people love that movie. I don't like that movie at all. Uh, <laughs> but he has these sort of like images of, of creation and stuff. And in one sense, like you kind of have, when we're thinking about something, you have to imagine it. And I imagine that Augustine had some sort of concept of it in his mind. But in another sense, I think we have to be detached from that as not a defining reality, just because I have some sort of concept that I come up with in my mind of what this is, what it looks like, what it might feel like, et cetera. It doesn't give reality to it. It's God who gives reality to it. And talking about creation, that's the important point. And that's what Augustine is kind of nailing home is that it's it's God who creates and gives life. It's it's fascinating. So so Augustine is going to say simply, it's not something that can be imagined. It's something that you must conceive. So imagining would be more like forming a picture of it in your mind, where conceiving of it would be more like, I know that triangles are three-sided figures, the interior angles of which amount to 180 degrees, even though I've never seen a perfect triangle before, right? So it's to have a, an intellectual grasp of something. And when he, he's going through these different stages, there are some cool conclusions at which we can arrive. So for one, when we talk about creation, we're talking about creation ex nihilo in our Christian tradition, which means out of nothing. How are you going to conceive of nothing? You're not. <laughs> so sometimes we have to conceive of things by just removing the false notions, by removing the things that are not. And even in our you know, descriptions of God, we do a lot of this. Like in another episode, we're going to talk about how God is simple, you know, how God is not composed or not complex. That's like saying God is not this or God is not that. So God is not like our intellectual idols, our conceptual idols. So that's a somewhat demanding point, but still, we can we can progress further. Another thing that he's going to say is, we probably have it in our minds that material things are more real than immaterial things. It's like if you have the choice between a $5 bill and goodness, you, you know, you're probably going to choose a $5 bill. But what St. Augustine is saying here is that immaterial things are in fact more real. He's trying to get at some like original creation, some intellectual heavens, which is, you know, present to the creation of all subsequent things. And this is super difficult because it's involving him in Neoplatonic emanation creation understanding. If you're like Father Gregory, I didn't understand any of those words. That's fine. Neither do I. <laughs> but it's, it's challenging us to think about, you know, what is real and how real is it? So I don't know, Father Jacob Bertrand, in some of the initial descriptions here in the first 10 chapters, were there ways in which you felt your your kind of concepts challenged or ways in which we as readers are challenged to understand creation better? Yeah, I think all of it's challenging to me. <laughs> you know, it, it really is. And I remember when I got to the Dominican House of Studies, this is a little story to answer your question, like having come straight from undergrad, I, I did all right in my undergrad work and I thought I was pretty smart. And then I got to the House of Studies and we started talking about theology and I was like, what is going on? Like, I have no idea. And a lot of sort of initial engagement with questions of theology were involved me realizing that it's just big, you know, and, and becoming okay with that of, as I've already said that we're going to be able to know a bit, but it's just a bit and sort of being okay with that, but also having the confidence that we can come to know a bit. So yeah, there's, I think it's that recognition, that balance and here, what in St. Augustine is, is talking about the, the sort of primordial creation and ex nihilo creating out of nothing, you know, all these sort of things. It's like, well, what can I grasp onto and what can I understand? And yeah, as we're reading and listening here, my, my advice and recommendation is, is to grasp onto what you can, you know, people spend their entire lives working out little bits of this and we're spending, you know, a 25 minute episode on it. So like garner what you can, let it sit, let it kind of inform you, but 
don't fall into the darkness of pre-creation. <laughs> Let it lead you into the light of of creation and God. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a great point with which to conclude because along the way, St. Augustine is making comparisons between what we might call a metaphysical vision, which would be like this type of deep philosophical work that we're doing, and then a moral vision, which would be what we would think often in terms of our spiritual lives and how it plays out and how we live with our friends and families. So like he'll speak about the darkness, you know, which is described here in verse two as like unto the darkness into which he fell, you know, by error, by sin, by other things besides. So he's he's drawing a connection here between creation, which we're studying, and our recreation in grace, which all of us experience personally and existentially. And then, you know, one of these last lines that we just heard, speak unto me, converse with me. I have believed your books, yet their words are utterly full of mystery. So the sense that the whole point of this is to be in yet more perfect living contact with the mysteries of God, because it's the mysteries themselves which save. So the mysteries of the divine life, the mysteries of our Lord's incarnate life are the way in which salvation is spelled out so that we can read it off the page and in reading it off the page, have our interior lives renovated by it and our, our spiritual efforts animated by it. So that's our hope for you. Know of our prayers to that end. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.